coming onto Stab Highway, I know for a fact that people in Hollywood would have paid millions for that authenticity. And welcome back to The Drop. This is Michael Saramella, and I feel like I've been saying that a lot lately. (laughs) We've had a lot of podcasts coming out, but it just doesn't stop. You know, I feel like we've got either a CT event every week to cover on the cusp, or just your weekly news with Buck and I on The Drop, and honestly, so many different stab projects going on that we're excited to tell you about, especially this week. We're going to basically reveal Stab Highway, presented by Monster Energy California, is now live. And that's going to be the focus of our show for a lot of it. We're going to talk about sort of my experience going there. And then on the back half of the podcast, we're going to have an interview with one of the stars, Ivy Miller, who I'll just say is one of the more impressive persons that I have met in a while and a really fun person to chat to as well. At least that's what it sounded like. I wasn't part of that interview, but um, I think you'll enjoy it. It's in the back half of this episode. Between now and then, we're also going to chat about Buck's interview with Eric Logan. He got on the phone with the WSL CEO to discuss everything from uh, dog Instagram posts to the WSL's new stats and figures and Elo's salty hair. We're going to talk also about John John Florence and whether or not he'll be coming back this year. There's been a lot of speculation with his new MCL injury about whether he can make it back and get enough points to get inside that top five picture to get into lowers and potentially have a shot at the world title. Well, we have a rumor that you are going to have to wait and hear because I'm not going to tell you it just yet. So that'll be coming up, but it is a pretty darn good idea of what John will be doing in the back half of this season, whether or not he's going to compete. And we're also going to talk about Malibu. Yes, that Malibu, the one where people on very long boards take off in front of one another, behind one another, bump into one another, and do this strange form of surfing where you walk back and forth and pretend like you're not doing anything at all. Um, it's, it's about an interesting story by an anonymous contributor, or should I say a pseudonymous? Pseudonymous? Whatever it's called where you have a fake name. Um, somebody wrote it. It's a story. It's, it's really long, and... Story aside, Buck and I have a really funny backstory of how this story came to be in the first place. So even if you don't love longboarding or Malibu, I think you'll get something out of it. And man, we also have one of my favorite surf sins of all time, but I won't get into that. For now, let's go straight in with Buck and I. We're going to talk about everything that happened this week in surfing. Welcome to the trip. All right, Mikey, the man behind the upcoming riot in Rio de Janeiro. Yeah, I've gotten a few notes about that, actually. Like, oh, how are you? You're inciting chaos and destruction. It's like, well, I mean, maybe. That would be great if I did, but I don't know if I have that sort of power. That's so funny, because I, I get it when we do shit like that on social media, and we've, like, like this story, we changed the name for social, because if you put that on social media, it would have been hilarious, I think, but, um, you know, people would have been way, way angrier. So you toned down that that name. What was it on social what to expect in Rio? Or like, yeah, Brazil, here we come. Brazil, here we come. And then on the site, just called Riot in Rio. I loved it. I mean, <laughs> how can you not see the fun in it? Especially just keeping it out on the site instead of social where people read three words and start yelling. Yeah, well, we still got some comments. Like, I remember somebody, I think he was Brazilian just based on his name. Um, but he made some comment on Instagram like, oh, you know, you're so like colonialistic or like it, he like made it as if like we would only say that about Brazil when in reality, if you'd read through the slider, 
it literally said like will there be a huntington beach-esque riot it's like <laughs> this happens anywhere it can happen anywhere and it has happened in huntington beach multiple times like yeah this isn't about the brazilian people it just so happens to be a moment in time where there are many of them and they are angry about certain things that are going on in the surf world so all the all the components are there for a riot and uh we're, we've the event just started we've yet to see if a riot will transpire not yet not yet you can be assured that we'll be the first ones to report it though. we will and now that i'm thinking about it i feel like you know how there's that thing about the East Coast just kind of being behind the West Coast or more specifically California in terms of like new ideas and stuff sometimes? Like you were eating acai bowls there 10 years before people were selling them big on the East Coast. It's just kind of a shame that's never happened at uh, in Virginia Beach at ECSC. Like what a prime place for a riot. And so maybe we'll do – I'll do the report this year. I'll just try. I won't even cover it. I'll just be like, hey, everybody, have a riot, and it'll be good. That'll be my contribution to society. What's going to be your selling point? Like you talk a lot about being mad at large organizations that you have no control over. So are you going to frame it around that? Like, is it a government thing? Is it, um, I think you mentioned the sun, just being mad at the sun in general. So what's going to be the point of contention for your rioters? Mm, Yeah, August, like the sun isn't as strong as that, like right now, like June equinox kind of territory. So maybe not the sun. Yeah, classic government. Government one could always be in order. Why not? Virginia Beach will rally behind that and... We'll get them going. We'll get them going. All right. Well, uh, with that, should we figure out what's going on in the surf world this week? We shall. Dab Highway California, presented by Monster Energy, is here. And wow, Mikey, you came back from this trip, and I think you told me that it was the most excited you've ever been about seeing how a stab project unpacks. I, I had a I had a real mix of emotions coming out of this thing because on one hand I was like, what we just created and all the moments that I saw transpire, like I was like, this is the most unbelievable project I've ever been a part of as far as like sheer just entertainment and fun and excitement. Um, and competition too. Like it's not just like this feel good thing this year. You know, last year it was like every team just sort of goes out on their own and like does the best they can on each challenge and then they're judged after the fact. Whereas this was like super cut and dry. So for context, like the way that it worked is every time that a team completed a challenge or so they thought, they would have to text it into a group thread with basically myself. I was the sole arbiter at least for appearances sake we were actually having conversations internally between myself and garrett the host and matt the kind of like director of the whole thing about whether challenges should count but it was a simple yes or no you know it was like did they do this well enough for it to be deemed complete and you get the full points so in any given day i'm getting you know between 50 and 100 submissions of challenges so people are just filming the back of the camera with their iphone texting it into the group chat and i'm either sending a green check or a big red x and as you can imagine the surfers didn't take very kindly to the big red x um yeah what what did you what was the word you used sole arbiter yes the sole arbiter yeah eric geisman called you a mall cop Yeah, there were. That was probably the one of the more tame um, characterizations of myself within Stab Highway. And I mean, f- fair enough. Like you watch it back, and I certainly come off as a dick, probably the villain of the whole thing. Holly Wan does a great job of uh, you know framing me <laughs> in in that sort of light. Um, and yeah, I, like I said, I came out of it pretty rattled because you basically have sixteen surfers just pissed off at you all the time, and 
you're there trying to like create this project and you're, you know, you've set up all these things and you're trying to make it as good as possible. And then they are just so off you because you're telling them no, or, you know, we're telling them, oh, that's, that's not a burrito or we're telling them, oh, you did this in the wrong spot. So it doesn't count. (laughs) Um, so yeah, it's a whirlwind, but I came out of it so excited to show the world and just a little bit broken as a human being. I think I wrote the site copy for this thing and I call it out that you of all people, uh, an American guy of Italian heritage named Michael is all of a sudden the authority on burritos. Like you, they just put you in a position where you have to say, this constitutes a burrito. This does not. I found that fascinating. I also found, you mentioned Holly before, but when they, it's such a funny challenge, such a clever one, but the, the get a tech bro to give you their puffy vest, that guy that Holly's team found for it is just so, like at one point they're in his house you just you're just like it looks like you're in this guy's weird kind of layer it's dirty in there it's strange um and it seemed like they just spent the afternoon with the guy and like he's holly's showing her or explaining to him that you're a villain and the guy kind of seems into it it was just such a bizarre thing like you see all these other like fleeting interactions where somebody's just like hey let me chug your booty juice and it's like you're with that person for maybe 30 seconds a minute they like hung out with that guy and he was he thought you're a villain too so basically this little fuck is ruining our, is ruining our trip. We're just on the biggest high and this little prick. Okay, seconds. well, here's the thing. I've got a puffer vest for you. Sick. Let's go. <laughs> Come with me. I don't know what terms he would have used, but he thought you were a villain too. <laughs> he did. And I'm actually, I think I'm going to write a little piece about sort of my experience and how it gave me such a more of an appreciation for people in roles like that, like referees judges like WSL included like I I feel much more empathy toward those people now than I ever have being put in that situation so I think next week on the site you might see something more about that Um, but for the time being yes episode one is now live if you haven't seen it please go watch it if you don't have stab premium yet you can actually catch the first I think like 15 or 25 minutes of the whole show on YouTube which includes the first challenge, which is basically a race across the Golden Gate Bridge to then land at Fort Point and get a wave that has at least three maneuvers on it. And it doesn't go as smoothly as you might imagine. There's a bit of a chaos. There's some missed turns. There's some, um, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of layers to it. So it's even the, fir- the, fir- the start of the show, it just goes straight into it. And it's like such an exciting moment. So at the very least, if you don't have Stab Premium, please go watch that. And I think you might get converted in that moment. And if you don't, well, first of all, if you don't have Stab Premium, what are you doing? Just get your life in order. Uh, second of all, yep. we're also going to do a free trial. So when that 15 minutes gets you and you want the rest, we're also offering a seven-day free trial so you can watch the full first ep. And then what? You get seven days comes and goes. We're dropping them weekly. There's five episodes. You're not leaving. Like, you just have to admit at that point, you're not going anywhere. So just give up on this idea. Don't make a note to yourself to cancel. It's not going to happen. And you're going to be a better person for it, okay? I surely hope so. Um, yeah, Stab Highway. And like I said, so this year, it was actually really competition-based. Two teams got eliminated before the final. So they're competing directly against one another throughout the entire match. Um, they do a lot of challenges on their own, and then they do some challenges together. And some teams are going home if they don't. If they don't perform, it's just like the real world. Just like the real world. You know, sometimes when I just want to shut my brain off, what I do is I get stoned and I watch Top Chef. <laughs>
<laughs> and I know you're a Top Chef guy, and yeah. I just feel like incorporating some of those, you know, tried and trusted. There's nothing really top chef in there, but just these ways to really create big moments. Am I talking like Elo right now? Because we're going to go to that thing next. <laughs> creating steaks. Okay, folks, we're creating steaks. Oh, is, top that, chef, a, they is cook that a top steaks. chef reference? Yeah, okay. Got yeah, they cook them, but you created them, uh, and it's a wonderful thing. The only thing I didn't like about it was watching somebody smoke a dreadlock. I really, it made me feel so sick to my stomach. I don't know why. There's a bunch of gnarly shit in there. But watching somebody inhale the smoke of a dreadlock is—it just hit me in a weird way. I—I I hated it. That was that was worse to you than going up to a stranger and asking them to 100%. take off their boot that they just surfed. I know in where you're going. Yep. And pouring that down your throat and swallowing it. Yeah. That liquid inside their boot. A thousand percent. Wow. All right. Well, to each their own. Yeah. Disgusting. But anyway, other than that, if you feel sick at either of those, that's on you. That's on me. It's not on Top Chef, and it's not on Mikey. His fault is the fact that he denies all the challenges and tells people what's a burrito. Yes. All right. Stab Highway, California, presented by Monster Energy. Go get it. It's live now. The stakes. How the WSL is in the best position it's ever been. This is an interview I did with Eric Logan. I don't know if you heard of him. Uh, he's the CEO of the WSL. They basically had some big. They're framing. They were framing them as updates. And so, you want some stats, Mikey? Because I got some stats. Hit me. We've got a sixty-two percent increase in digital audience. And a ninety-five percent increase in Challenger Series viewership compared to the QS 10,000s of old. Um, these stats are pulled, like most of them other than the QS1, CS1, sorry, is when they look at 2019, the last full year of tour, to now. And 62% increase in digital audience, they're claiming. That's a lot more people watching surfing. But what are the stats on dogs on the Instagram of WSL at this point? Are they, are they up? Are they down? Did you read that? That and the thing, it I came up. It came up, and I didn't even have to bring it up, which I was like honored by. That made me respect him so much. But I'm sure a lot of you out there remember, folks, but it wasn't too long ago when you went to the WSL, their Instagram page, and this is the governing body of surfing. This is the highest level of sport in surfing, and they would just post whatever's like cute and somewhat surf-related, like a, a dog surfing or like a fucking dolphin. And, I mean, you really see a difference now, like, we shared in a little stab thread those those like heat matchup things that they're doing. Those look sick. Like their Instagram now feels like a league and it feels like it's serious and feels like it's this big time thing and it's there's no more surfing dogs. And he talked about how the business needed more focus and maybe at that point it was just it probably helped them grow, honestly. Grow a following on there. But uh he mentioned he was proud of the fact that there's no more surfing dogs essentially on the WSL page, and that we should all be happy about. We can all rally around. Well, that. did you see what they did to Strider today on the webcast? No. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> well, let's just say that, um, yeah, surfing dogs—they haven't strayed from that path. Oh god, so far. Yeah, uh, there there was a moment. It was you know it was an installation uh, with the event partner Havianas. And let's say that Strider was surfing on a giant sandal in a pool of 
little balls, I guess. Yeah, like you know, like a ball pit, like those sort of balls. Okay. And um, and he had a big wipeout. I think you might see it on Stab's Instagram shortly. Oh my god. Okay. I'm actually gonna I'm gonna send this to you right now for a live reaction if that works for you. You get your hot balance, you're all done with them. You send them in. They'll recycle them, make them into new ones. So we're gonna get this wave going right now. Where's the wave? Let's do this. Are we ready? Okay. Oh. Oh. oh! We were ready. I don't think Strider was ready. We're ready. Wow. <laughs> okay, folks. Okay, let's let's focus on We've got a 20% increase in revenue. I mean, oh my god, what what do you think the increase is in workplace related injuries? Yeah, I guess they have to budget for that, but Wow, so what we just used, I mean, Mikey described it already. This is my first time seeing it, but hey, maybe that's a lesson to all of us. If you want to increase your revenue 20%, you got to get dirty. And this is, wow, that was mind-blowing. I mean, that, and then I really love the ladder. I think we talked about it before, but the ladder sponsor they had in, in throughout the Australian <laughs> leg of the Challenger Series was like my favorite partnership ever. It was just so pure. <laughs> WSL Pure. It was. They should just... Oh, my God. That was so good. This one is very cringe. The ladder was, but for some reason, the ladder kind of worked for me, too. Like, if I was going to buy a ladder, I'd buy that ladder now. I'd be like, fuck yeah, Bailey's ladder. Yeah. Uh, Kaipo kind of owned the ladder situation, and we're actually going to hear a little bit more about Kaipo in uh, in our surf sin today, so stay tuned for that. But yeah, the WSL, they've, they've got some interesting um, partnerships and concepts that they put together with these brands they work with. Yeah, now I feel, you know, I feel a little bit deceived, him calling out the no surfing dogs <laughs> and then one day, and then the next day there's Strider getting bucked off a weird sandal <laughs> in a ball pit. But it's funny, too, because he really, he drives it home in the end of his interview with you. Like, he really tries to paint himself as, you know, like a core salt-of-the-earth sort of surfer. He's got, he says he's got his back zip O'Neill, which I think is technically as core of a wetsuit as it gets. Um, he says it actually has a lot of holes in it as well, which, I mean, that's just another little tick in the box for him. Um, you know, he's kind of stopped doing his posting surf photos to Instagram thing. So I think he's, I think now he feels like an El Porto local. So he's like, don't blow up the spot sort of oh, thing. Oh yeah, big time. And um, he also noted that after surfing that morning, he didn't take a shower. So Elo, he's just a salty dog, a little core lord. He truly is. And no, he's not. <laughs> <laughs> I got to say it was one of the most it was the most unique interview I've ever done. Like I knew this going into it, but people of his caliber are so good at doing that political thing where they just will say what they want to say regardless of the question. And if you read the interview, you read my questions, you could see that. Like I didn't ask him, "Hey, how much has the WSL's digital audience increased since 2019?" He just, like, I asked him something. He's like, but you know what? Here, and he just, we had 30 minutes. You could tell that he knew what he wanted to say, and he wanted to get a lot of information out there, and he was going to try to respect the questions, but also go off. Like, I thought I was going to have more time. I wanted to ask him if he thinks he could beat Natasha Ziff in the heat. I would pay to watch that. Um, <laughs> didn't get there, but I was happy I got to pull that wetsuit thing out of him. That way, the way I got that out of him is I saw a video earlier that day where he... It was like an Oklahoma Pride 
YouTube channel because he's from there and they're talking about, look at you, Oklahoma guy, so successful. And he's talking about being 40 years old and wanting to buy a Ferrari and then, you know, midlife crisis shit. And then his wife bought him a wetsuit instead to be like, yo, don't buy the Ferrari, buy, just go try surfing. And how funny is that? How funny is that being, I mean, I know he's, he's one to ham up a story too. I get the sense, you know, I think, I think when you, have 10 years behind you, you could really play up a moment that you want to play more than it may have been real, like realistically happening in that moment. So I'm happy I got that out of him. And it just sounds so good. Like he, he chose, you could kind of say that he chose an O'Neill backstep wetsuit over a Ferrari, which, and now he's the CEO he's of the, the governing body of surfing. It's just bizarre. It's bizarre. Yeah. I think that was actually what inspired him to leave Oprah. Because, you know, she's she's on that whole, you get a car, you get a car, you get a car oh, train. Yeah. But really, we don't need cars. We need wetsuits. Yeah, back zips. And then I, I want to go back to the stakes thing, too, because this is one of the most interesting things. Basically, this interview, he talks about all these numbers and why he thinks that they are the way that they are. Very interesting. Go give it a read. But the stakes bit was super interesting because he was talking about when they run events, they have three things. Waves, surfers, and stakes. You can't control the waves. You're not going to control who wins because everybody's so damn good. But you can control the stakes. You can control what's on the line. And basically this new system puts more on the line at different moments in the season. And because humans like narratives, we're glued to it. So I found that interesting. And go give it a read. And uh, don't shower after you surf. Be like Elo. No, don't. Stop. <laughs> it just doesn't feel good saying it, does it? Naughty 11X world champ caught flunking Rio for thumping temples. What a good title, flunking and thumping. There's all sorts of weird kind of sexual energy in there. I like it. So we know who this is, folks. This is Kelly Slater just doing his thing where he just doesn't go to surf contests because the waves are good elsewhere. And it's it's going to be a point where it's like my favorite thing he does. I love it so much. It's just so funny. Your favorite Kellyism? It's so funny. Like, I feel like he used to be better at like hiding a bit more. Maybe it's just a matter of it being the digital age and everything's captured now. But I mean, he was posting about it on Instagram too, though. So it's just so funny how blatantly he does it now. I think I think he should get to the point where he starts doing it mid-event, though. I think he should show up to an event, forecast goes shit, make a heat bail. Like, that would be the coolest thing I think he could do. <laughs> Yeah, it is. It's beautiful. And it's one of those little benefits you're afforded by being an 11 time world champ, a 50 year old who's still on tour. Like anybody who is opposed to Kelly doing this, you need to, I think, get some perspective. You know, if guys that we actually feel like, you know, like if Felipe did it right now, like technically he could because he's in first place. Um, you know, he obviously wants to stay in first place, but at the end of the year, he's going to be in the top five, you know, as long as he gets a one or two more little results. So he could bail out of this event if he didn't want to surf it, if he decided he was fed up with the judges. Um, actually, you know what? Fuck it. I actually think it'd be cool if he did it. It'd be sick if Felipe just said, fuck it, went to, what if he went to like Chopes or something like that? He said, yeah, I already know how to surf a wobbly beach break. I'm going to go get giant tubes and figure this shit out. Yeah, I don't need... You know, the 100K to win an event and the sponsor bonuses that come with it. I'm just going to go out a few tubes. I mean, in all reality, he probably doesn't. I think he's wealthy enough to not need that, but never hurts. 
But with Brazil, I mean, he's going to win, right? Like, so why does it matter? Wouldn't you just show up to a contest and you know you're going to win? Well, no, Italo's going to win. I'll go fly over. I'll go fly over for an ESA and win the fucking <laughs> Masters Division next week if I know I'm going to win. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. So you're saying Kelly isn't going to win Brazil? Kelly's not. Felipe will. Um, okay, there you go. But then one more question on this, and sorry, it's a personal one. When was the last time you got caught flunking? <laughs> I prefer to flunk in the morning, but sometimes the flunking just ain't available that time of day. Yeah. Well, hey, folks, flunk, flunk whenever you can get it in, all right? Yeah. Make sure you get in at least one flunk a one day. One flunk a day will keep the doctor away. Long read. That's Malibu. Mikey, I feel like you and I are going to have a similar take on this because... I always knew Malibu was significant, but I never cared to try to understand it, to surf it, to deal with it in any capacity, really. And so we had this piece take shape that lays it out from like the pre-United States history days to the first people surfing it to the Marshall Brothers opening a surf. It's the whole thing. It, it's the whole fucking thing. And so um, now I'm good. I, I don't really feel the need to go and do it. But like, now I know. I read it and now I know. I get it, I think. Have you ever done it? Have you ever done a Malibu? I think the only time I surfed there was on a thing similar to Stab Highway when Transworld Surf did it. And I was on it. I had to get a stupid tattoo in my armpit um, of a defunct website now and HP. <laughs> But there were challenges at Malibu, and you had to like burn people or harass somebody. It was weird, but uh, that was the only time. That was the only time. So I was, you know, kind of brought there forcibly, and then never went back. And now I, like I said, I respect it. I think it's awesome. It sounds fascinating. Good for you. Good for everybody. Not for me. <laughs> um, yeah, I we actually went there this year as well on Stab Highway. And I'd surfed it one time before that. I think I was up, cause this was when the stab office was in Venice. So I was like in LA and there was a south swell. So I was like, oh, what the fuck else am I going to do? I should go to Malibu. And it was it was a horrible experience. Um, I think I surfed it, I, like the waves weren't very good. I know it gets good, but it wasn't very good when I was there. It was like weird and wonky and maybe the wrong tide or something. But yeah, the general experience of having, it, it was actually similar to what we experienced at Waimea this year, just on a slightly smaller scale. But just people who don't surf especially well, wielding nine foot weapons and mm. deciding they can drop in anywhere that they want is not a oh, great yeah. surfing experience for me. It's not. And it's all uh, Tom Blake's fault. Let's blame him. <laughs> But for real, this is this is a good read. This is a good read, and it's long. And if you ever wanted to know about Malibu, and you're like Mikey and I, you never really tried, this will cover it for you. This will get you covered. Well, Buck, I have to I have to admit something. Um, so I didn't read this piece, and it's not it's not necessarily because it's about Malibu. Like you know, I do have a you know just being a surfer my whole life like i feel like there is something probably interesting about that place it's not the fact that it's 6500 words the longest piece we've ever published on stabmag.com to my knowledge um but it's actually everything that happened from the start the origin of this story through to its actual conception and or not conception um birth i suppose you could say 
So I just want to give you some some stats here that I don't know if you're, I think you're subconsciously aware of this, but I don't know if you're actively aware of this. So this all started with an email on March 21st, 2022, by a man who formerly was known as Aki's Toilet and is now known as General Blanton. I have no idea why he changed his name or what the new one I think means. It's gentle, but, but general sounds oh, better. He should change gentle. it. <laughs> gentle, okay. General Blanton. World War II victor. <laughs> gentle Blanton. Sorry. Uh, wrong pseudonym. So, like I said, this started on March 21st. Um, it didn't get published until around June 21st, which is three months. So there's a three-month gestation period on this story, in which time there was a 46 email long thread and that spanned between yourself mr blanton ashton goggins and i think i had one email in there so and these aren't like short little back and forth like how you doing how's the story coming along emails these are like they're yeah they're the real thing yeah, they're like little novellas that, yeah, so, I mean, I would say average length on these emails is probably like 250, 300 words, um, and and there's so much going on. So there, like I said, there's 46 emails, 32 of them are from Gentle Blanton, eight are from Ashton, who, anybody who's ever corresponded with Ashton knows that it's like a, it's like a, it's like a faucet that it's like either on, like just spurting out so way too much water or it just goes dry for like five weeks at a time and you don't hear anything it's just a complete dried up well um so you mean general goggins <laughs> yeah general goggins so it's and and gentle blanton to his credit um he knows how to to spin some words together as well so he is putting together these giant emails ashton's coming back with like all these notes like super engaged for like three days at a time and then he'll just disappear and Gentle Blanton will like kind of continue with his email saying like, hey, Ashton, I saw that you you made this edit, blah, blah, blah. And like, keep bear in mind, Ashton is not like an editor on stabmag.com anymore. Like his job right now, at least, like he's like fully focused on Red Bull No Contest. So he's going to all these different places around the world filming. He was just in Fiji on that swell with Julian Wilson. And they're doing a bunch of great work over there, which you'll see soon. But he's not involved in the day-to-day like editing process at all. And I think just because this is like Malibu and he has a great affinity for that place and longboarding and whatnot, like he felt the need to, you know, be the the sole arbiter of that story, if you will. Um, so, yeah, he's coming in. He's like making all these like edits and then General Blanton's like coming back and saying like, OK, but I this and that. And then Ashton just disappears for like a month at a time. That's war, baby. Two generals going head to head. And then meanwhile, me and you, we're like on this email thread, like CC'd, and we're just sitting back and like, like we have a conversation between us on Slack, like just kind of like laughing at these two people going back and forth over this story about Malibu. And they're, they're so invested in it. It's like two polar opposites. Like they're so invested in everything that's going on in Malibu, getting every single detail right. You know, Mickey Dora, Tom Blake, like all these figures and people and stuff. And we're just sitting there like, what is going on? Like you're supposed to be the editor. You 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 haven't even like touched the thing because Ashton's going in there and like changing things all over the place. Um, so yeah, that that's my experience. And that's how I'm always going to remember this story. I don't think I'm ever going to read it, but I will always have the email thread. And um, yeah, I just wanted to sort of bring that up to the surface and let people know how things function within Steph. And isn't that like the most Malibu thing about it though? Like just like debates over like what thin Mickey Dora used, like the day he painted a swastika on the wall, and then like the fact that it's. 65 it's the longest story it's like that makes it so malibu and hey folks 
That's Malibu. It's yours. Go read it. What does it mean if John John Florence is out for the year? It means, fuck, that's annoying. That is annoying. But basically, folks, we are hearing some whispers, and the whispers are saying some interesting stuff. I want to flunk them, actually. (laughs) The whispers are telling us that while the rest of the top five is battling for the world title at lowers, John will be on a sailboat somewhere between Hawaii and Fiji resetting. So, torn MCL, you've had this injury, Mikey. You know that it ain't a long or easy road back. Does September feel realistic to you? I mean, and if you're outside the top five, why even matter? Why does September even matter? Like, what's your kind of, where's your head at on the time frame here? He could be surfing by September uh, at, you know, maybe 70, 75%. Um, but again, like he just, he doesn't have the points right now in order to get there. He'd need to surf J-Bay and Chopes, I believe. Um, and there's just no, I mean, J-Bay starts in the middle of July. I just, there's just no way that he's going to be ready to do that. And if he is, he's going to be rushing it, risking a lot of injury and probably won't perform that well anyway. So yeah, John John will not be finishing this year in the final five. And in which case, he just shouldn't surf, which I think makes this story make a lot of sense. Like, if I were John, I would go do something to take my mind off the fact that four seasons in a row, my knee has let me down and I've sacrificed potential world titles. And he's doing something that he loves. He's still going to be out in the ocean, which is his favorite place in the world. And um, yeah, he also had a really great trip a couple years back during a knee injury rehab where he went to those islands, I forget what they're called, but way out in the Pacific somewhere with his brothers. And I think that was a pretty profound experience for him and he probably wants to do something similar again and then by the time he's getting to fiji he's surfing and hopefully really good waves hey i mean that sounds good to me i'll go i'll go (laughs) but with this story what we did is we share that information and we basically unpack as the title says what does it mean and so one of the things it means is that say this is all true john starts next year at pipeline as a 30 year old wow he has he actually has the same birthday as me October 18th. I had it first, so uh, he copied me, and he should have pretty much named his company after me. But some facts about 30-year-olds and competitive surfing. First, I want to point out there's been 50 male world titles handed out in the WSL, ASP, whatever the old one was. The average age of those winners, 25.46. So people win young. 30 is not that young. Here is a list of people who've won after 30. Mick Fanning won it when he was 32. Joel Parkinson at 31. Sonny Garcia at 30. Mark Ocalupo at 33. Fuck yeah, Aki. And Kelly Slater won it at 33, 34, 36, 38, and 39. I was fascinated by that because four titles, that like that's a huge point of difference, and he's the only one to do it at that age like it seems like that window for him that 34 to 39 is where he did some of his best work and maybe it was a function of like nobody really stepping up during that time and and facing him like that streak that he got on there was like made the difference between him being like the greatest surfer of all time and like definitely the greatest surfer of all time this story actually it just made me a little bit curious like i wanted to when i was reading through a, a list of world title winners that you sent through it um it made me think like oh how much of this do I actually know off the top of my head so would you be cool if I gave you a bit of a quiz right now 
No, I can't do that. Brains I'd shape for that, so go. <laughs> that's your that's your that's your yes. I just want to see how far back you can name world title winners starting at two thousand twenty one. Oh my god, this, this is gonna be such a bloodbath. It's gonna be ridiculous. Uh just try to get to get to the year two thousand basically, and we'll see how many you get wrong. Oh my god. This is gonna be a bloodbath. Okay. Uh males. Medina won last year, 2020, nobody. Italo, 2019. Gabrielle, 2018. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he had three, and I want to just put him for like that whole block. Um, well, who was the first Brazilian world champion? The Gabby was, but then Adriano won after him. But so Gabby, I, I got to save my third Gabby for for down there. Okay, so we're going Gabriel 2021, 2020 no, 2020, 2019 Italo, 2018 Gabe, 2016 John John, 2014 Gabe, 2013 Mick, 2012 Kelly, Apocalypse, Kelly for 2011 too, Apocalypse shit, 2010 Mick, 20, 2009 Parco, 2007 Mick, I'm just going hard now, I have no, I'm I'm losing everything, Uh, Aki, Sonny Garcia, four to Kelly, did Andy get one in the 2000s? Three. Andy got three in the 2000s. CJ. Uh, you, you were going good until the apocalypse tripped you up. You forgot what I actually know, we're happened just talking in the apocalypse about too. I, I, felt, I think I got the first batch pretty good, and then it just, I just melted down. Yeah, it melted. That's okay. So you got to 2013. That's not too bad. That's, ten, that's a decade. I know them all, just not in order. Not in order. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Sorry, that was a that was a pop quiz. You weren't ready for that. That was rude of me. Yeah, no, that was fun. <laughs> All right, so John John will not be the 2022 world champion, but he will be probably very barreled in Fiji. Okay, anonymous surf sin time, folks. You're always allowed to do this. If you have too much shame and it's unbearable and you feel the weight on your shoulders every day and you let your family down and all your friends hate you, you can confess anonymously. And so this is a really weird sin. Um, It was strange. I like this guy's energy. It's really confusing and there's something about it where I'm just, I'm drawn in. And so let's hear it. Hey guys. Hey Danny, inside that cave on that volcano, my prayers are with you. So I'd like to remain anonymous for my surf-related surfs in. Because I don't want to get cancelled and, you know, I'd like to take my dog out for a walk and be able to face society. Um, Because I'm pretty sure there must be a very good reason that Kaipo Guerrero is in the commentary team of the WSL. He must be an amazing human being but I just don't get it I don't get how Stacy G um, 
allegedly a guy who is from Australia but can pack information in a sentence and be fluent about it and talk fast and be smart knows his and I quote position in the um, commentator um, hierarchy uh, and meanwhile Kaip was in there having a small stroke every time he's trying to say something like I'm doing right now uh, but I'm not a WSL commentator and I'm not even a native speaker and I don't get it he must be cool and I'm probably being cancelled as we speak but yeah that's my surf related surf sin actually my real surf sin is that I don't surf at all haven't surfed since November and I rely on WSL broadcasts to get my surf those that's the real deal that's the real sin but anywho thanks for sharing hope you don't give me the penance of not watching the rest of the season it's been a nice season except for Kaipo I'm being cancelled sorry bye See what I mean, though, about his energy? He just, it's weird. It's, like, rambling, and he's, he might be drunk, maybe? Is he is he intoxicated? Is he fucked up on something? I don't really know, but something about it just works for me. This guy's fucking hilarious. Like, there's just so much in this. First of all, why is he whispering? Um... <laughs> right? Is he... I, <laughs> what? He's like, I think this plays into the fact that he like doesn't want to get canceled. I think he's like genuinely paranoid. Like, and and also, who is he afraid of canceling him? Like, yeah, for this, <laughs> what is he I, exactly? Like, I was like, oh my god, what is this guy gonna say? This is gonna be wild. But he's gonna say Dirk Ziff is behind QAnon or something, and then he just just goes the Kaipo route. I, it was not that impressive of a sin, but just a wild ride. I mean, I don't even think hating Kaipo Guerrero is a sin. It's maybe a little bit rude, but it's not a sin. Um, what I will say, though, his, he, he brought... And this is... Like, there was a full twist at the end. And he says, my real sin is that I don't actually surf. <laughs> and, oh, you're right. Or at least yeah. he hasn't surfed for months. And he says that he uses the WSL as his, quote-unquote, daily dose of you know surfing. And, and that's how he experiences it. And I think that that is his true sin. I mean, if you're... Like, imagine if the WSL was really what you pictured and imagined surfing as. Like, that's just a really sad, sterile place to live. Yeah, I know. I mean, but he has to have, he has to have, like, a, I get where he's coming from. Like, I get, like, if I was, if surfing was somehow, you can't, you're not going to get it out from, from me. But if somehow you, you changed my life in a way where it was pulled out, good luck trying. I'm not going to let you. But... I guess maybe I'd still watch that to get, like, feel like I'm connecting with it in some way. Um, but I agree with you. So what a sterile, like what a way to watch surf edits or something. I I get that more than the WSL, but I guess we should focus on that as a sin. One note on Kaipo though. I really don't mind him. He gets so much shit. And I mean, look, when you call Jack Robinson, John, John Florence, after he won an event, it's deserved. 
Okay, we got to say that. Mistake, everybody can make one. I misspoke like eight times on this podcast right now. But Yeah, but how many ladders does that guy sell? He's getting, they can't keep them on the shelves, and they don't even put them on the shelves to begin with. They just hang against the wall because they're fucking ladders. But I don't mind them. Like, I, I, I think he offers something different. It's, yeah, it can be goofy at times, but I think he gets more shit than he deserves. It's hard doing what they do, and I don't mind Kaipo. So there's that, but let's focus on the... Let's wait, wait. Before we leave that, though, he does have a good point. I And I'm not just saying this because I'm friends with him and he works at Stab and whatever, but Stace is a better commentator than just about everybody on their team. Maybe, I think Ronnie is probably the one that, like, he has the same sort of, like, clap brain, fast-talking, super knowledgeable, super respected thing as Stace. The only thing, he, he's just a little bit more, like, mature and seasoned than Stace is, so I think that Ronnie gets the nod. But other than that, like, I would rather hear Stace objectively analyze professional surfing and chat with athletes and pretty much anybody on the WSL's roster. So the fact that, I mean, granted, Stace has a great new job. I know he's super happy about it. But the fact that like that WSL CT commentator option wasn't available to him, like I think that our anonymous source here has some points there. And you're right. I mean, Stace is, he's really good at what he does. And I would say he's more handsome than Ronnie. Um <laughs> that's a lie Stace I love you but I mean Ronnie is what a hunk like I would what a hunk. I would flunk that guy in a heartbeat and I would still flunk <laughs> you Stace it's just Ronnie is just a dream isn't he uh, but they're both you, I'd, I'd flunk Ronnie on a giant sandal in a pile of balls <laughs> with a slow wave rolling beneath us I, I'd be let him beautiful. flunk me on that sandal <laughs> anyway yeah I think that's a good point. I mean, there are people that are really good at this. Stace is among them, and Kaipo is just not in that league. But I think he just, they almost use him as like a gesture sometimes. And I don't know, it, it works for me. Yeah, there's probably better, but he does fine. It's a hard job. Let's focus on the what he kind of curves into at the end as his sin, as his not surfing and watching the W, or yeah, watching the WSL as his like way to experience that in some way. That's a sin. Well, I guess that's why, and that's, sorry, just to get back to it, like, that's where his fear of being canceled comes from, because what if the, you know, the WSL, I mean, obviously, they, they wouldn't or couldn't do this, but, like, they found out that, like, he was their number one critic, and they just somehow banned him, like, his IP address or something from watching all of their stuff, then he feels like he doesn't have, surfing is no longer part of his life. So for me, that's about the only way you can get canceled, I think, because otherwise, this is a really simple one, though. Your penance is to get a Stab Premium subscription and watch Stab Highway presented by Monster Energy. Ooh, it is the yeah. antidote that will change everything, the, the way that you see surfing, the way you experience surfing. It is the anti-venom to the WSLs, whatever you want to call it. And yeah, I don't know. Like that to me, like it's a, you know, if you want to buy the annual, that's great. There's also a seven-day free trial. You can try it out if you want first. But your penance is to buy a Stab Premium and specifically to indulge in Stab Highway, because that is all the surfing that you need. It's real surfing. I liked that a lot, and so I'm actually just going to add to it. And beyond that, I, I believe you have to experience kind of like spectrums in life, you know? For something to be good, something has to be bad. You need, you kind of need to have both or else neither exist. And so my penance for him is to experience the worst of the worst, which is QS broadcasts. Not when you do them, Paul Evans. You're my favorite person. Uh, QS broadcasts where it's just 
nothing over a 3,000-pointer. He's got to sit down. He's got to commit to one full watch an entire QS from start to finish. Can't be over 3,000. Hopefully you can find one that's a 1,500 that has a webcast. And so he needs to really take it that way too to experience the lowest. And then he has to experience the highest as well with highway. So... That's your path forward, Anonymous. All right. So yeah, you gotta you gotta ride both ends of the spectrum there. Stab Highway, low level QS event. And Buck, sorry, I, I hate to admit this that I haven't been paying full attention to you. Right now I have your little vertical screen on one side of my computer, and on the other side I have the Brazil event, and I just wanted to let you know that the Baker train has left the station and he's currently in the lead against Jordy Smith and yes. Callum Robson. <laughs> Get on board, folks, let's go. <laughs> Choo-choo. All right, and for anybody wondering, yes, Jacko Baker did go on to win that heat. More money in the bank. Um, as you know, we've been betting all year long with betonline.ag. They are a supporter of the podcast, and most importantly, they're a supporter of our personal bank accounts. Um, if you've been on the Jacko train this year, you have been raking in some hefty funds. I think um, Buck is having to send some of his winnings offshore to the Canary Islands or wherever they do it in Europe over there. Um, so yeah, it's, it's creating a bit of a debacle internally, but it, it's all for the greater good. And we hope that you'll join us on betonline.ag and, and join the fun. Now, it's time to chat with Ivy Miller, the star, or one of the stars of Stab Highway. She came into the office recently and chatted with one of our newest editors, Coral McDuffie. And Coral asked her about pretty much everything, you know, about where she came from, what she does, and what her experience was like on Stab Highway. And I will say that you may think you know Ivy from her Instagram, but I can assure you that this cake has a lot of layers. So let's jump straight in. I'm from Carlsbad, California. Okay. Born and raised? Born and raised. Nice. What part of Carlsbad? South Carlsbad. So right on the border of Encinitas and Carlsbad. So sometimes I say I'm from Encinitas because I kind of grew up with those kids. But also Carlsbad because I went to Carlsbad High. I see. So do you identify as more of a seaside local? No, I don't know. I don't really identify myself as a local. (laughs) Awesome. Did your parents serve? Yeah. They both surf. So Mikey told me that your dad was the lifeguard uniform guy. I have no idea what that means. Is that is that true? So my dad, when he was around 18, he started lifeguarding in Oceanside. And then my mom and him got together. And at that point, they had like little Speedos. And my dad asked my mom to make him some trunks. And then... Eventually, his friends wanted the trunks, and then all of Oceanside wanted the trunks, and the next agency over wanted the trunks, and now they provide all the lifeguard uniforms for, like, 80% of the world. That's incredible. Yes. Wait, so your dad makes, your dad and your mom make those trunks? Yeah. What's the, what's the label? Waterman. No way. Yeah. Is that, like, their main gig now, or is that... Yeah, yeah. They've been doing that since they were, like, 18. (laughs) That's, that's insane. Yeah. So the red trunks. They have them in China. They have, like, Los Angeles County. They've got, like, just about everybody that you see. So what age did they make you junior life present? <laughs> like, I think they got me in at six. Mm. And you can be in there at, like, eight, but they, like, pulled some strings, you know? Yeah. 
and then I was a lifeguard like as soon as I was able to. Like I graduated high school and I was 16 or 17 and they don't let you lifeguard here until you're 18. And I was like, hell yeah, I got some summers off. And then my dad uh, like sent out a mass email to all the lifeguard agencies. And I think like Nebraska and North Carolina replied. And he's like, you want to go to Nebraska or North Carolina? I'm like, neither. I want to hang out here. And he's like, no one rides for free, babe. You're going to North Carolina. So I spent a summer in North Carolina lifeguarding. Was it a lake or was it a pool? No, it was an was ocean. North Carolina, OBX. Oh, yeah, duh, duh, yeah. North Carolina. It's okay. It was, it was so fun. I love OBX. Is it similar to, like, Outer Banks show? Like, is that an accurate portrayal? I haven't seen Outer Banks, but I'd assume so. Like, I, I, don't, I was only, the only one surfing, but now there's more of a surf scene. It was a sick little town. Like, it's really cute. Yeah. Did you have to do any crazy, like, saves? Like, Not there. Here, like, you rescue every day. But there, it was, like, two a summer. It was really minor. There wasn't really too much going on. So you came back here, mm-hmm. and where did you lifeguard? And then I came back here, and I started community college at Miracosta, and I started um, lifeguarding for Encinitas. Oh, okay. Yeah. What tower in Encinitas? Um, anywhere from Swamis to Grandview. Dude, it was psycho. It's so busy there. My brother was down in San Diego, and his was like gnarly, gnarly. Mine was like medium gnarly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You have a crazy gnarly lifeguard story. I mean, there's a lot. Like, there's been like I've saved like two huge Samoan guys out of rips. Like kids are missing, and then there's like couples having sex in public in front of families. Like. It just never stopped. Someone broke the femur, had to stop the bleeding and all that. Like, it didn't stop. And especially, like, now when the bro-am goes and summer's in full swing, everybody's coming from Temecula. It's, like, hectic. Yeah. Like, you're more wet than you're dry. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like good preparation for staff, by the way. <laughs> yeah, dude, it's pretty survival thing. You got to be on your swivel for yeah. sure. I take it lifeguarding probably wasn't your end all. No, dude. Working eight hours a day for minimum wage, like staring into the anus of the sun, that's where I got my pterygiums. Like, that's where it all started. But it was like such a good job for being that age, you know, and learning responsibility and getting stuff done and whatnot. Did you have a sense of what you wanted to do? Like, who's your hero? Uh, I don't know. I just knew I wanted to have fun for a living. <laughs> because the whole, like, chain of command and, like, reporting to people was not it for me. No. I'm sure you have to do that a lot as a lifeguard. Yeah, yeah. Lifeguarding is gnarly. Yeah. So, was getting into surfing pretty natural? For you, from lifeguarding, or how did you get in? Um, I got... I... My whole family surfed, so when it was like, when I was probably seven, I was a little princess because I didn't want to put a wetsuit on, which is ironic. (laughs) But like, I don't know, surfing here wasn't my thing. Like I went to Hawaii and then I was like, okay, I understand now. And so then I like had one day in at Ponto with my dad in the summer. I was like on the nose of his board when I was like eight and I was like, this is it. This is so fun. That's so sick. So it's like the first wave you can remember writing. Yeah. With your dad at Ponto. Yeah. 
That's cool. And then did you just kind of make a habit of going out? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, you need to be stoked on it. And I had a best friend that I would go out with and we'd tandem because it was scary going by ourselves. And if we made it like a thing, like little groms, like, okay, we're in like talk each other through it. And then we're like, okay, eventually we got on our own boards and then we had surf PE and, and surf team and being in Southern California, they're really supportive of the surf lifestyle. Yeah. Especially at Miracosta, right? Yeah. Did you do the surf team there? Um, no, I don't think I did at Miracosta. But like, dude, surf PD at Carlsbad, I had um like I had Spanish and then I'd have surf PE and then I'd have math. So it was like woven into your school schedule. It's pretty sick. So sick. Did you ever compete? <laughs> yeah, just like SSS, ISA, WSA. SSS for the day. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, I quickly... W- I don't like competing against girls. I don't like... Like, I can't take myself seriously as it is. So, being in a surf contest, I was just, like, bopping around, having fun. Yeah. People were, like, taking it way too seriously. I was like, I don't know if this is for me. For sure. <laughs> so, when people ask you what you do, like, how you make a living, how do you respond? Um, I actually respond... By, I've been doing a lot of writing recently. So I've been writing for a few shows and for a few brands that want like treatments and, and um, I don't know, I create stories for brands, I think. And like for shows and stuff. Like I've ghost written a few different shows for HBO and stuff like that. That's but, incredible. I had no idea. Yeah. Awesome. But that's easier than being, I don't know, it, for a while I, I had no idea what I did, you know, especially with social media becoming a thing, like you can't, I'm an Instagram influencer, but I also like kind of surf and I kind of do this and that. What, what were the shows for HBO? Ghost written. Can't talk about it. Uh-huh. Oh. That's what they do. Is it out? Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. How did the... Stranger things come about, like interview with the on the roller coaster. Um, Did you write those questions for that too, or that treatment? Yeah, yeah, but but th- I can't talk about this on the record. But yes. we have a show coming out with Netflix, so oh, really? then they hired me from that. Are you gonna be the face of it, or like can't talk about all you get? Okay. Uh, have to wait and see. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, NDAs, baby. Yeah. Good. <laughs> That's good. So. You have like a split between surfer, writer, model. Where, like, what do you think? How do you, or the, let me rephrase this question. Where is the split between those three? Like, being an Instagram model, surfer, writer. I don't model anymore. I wouldn't okay. consider myself a model. Um, I do comedy more. So I'd say like surf, uh, writer, and comedy are my main things right and um what do you mean the split like where does the majority well i guess you answered this with saying you write but i was gonna ask where the majority of your income comes from like doing brand deals through instagram and being an influencer that way or writing or just like surfing i'm Mm. just super curious so i don't like to do brand deals that often i'll do like two a year because i think the whole like hey it's me with the fucking thing it's so cheesy and so lame and dumb yeah so i'll be super selective with who i do those with 
so I wouldn't say that's a majority of my income. I'd say I try to focus it on stuff that I love. And what I love is like improv and writing and like getting together with friends and giggling and then writing it down. That's like gives me life. And uh, so I'll spend like six months out of the year up in L.A. And we'll just be writing and kind of working on different shows and uh, sets and stuff. Whether I'm like, yeah. Where does where your biggest inspiration for that stuff come from? Um, I think in, like, early 2000s movies, like Step Brothers and This Is 40 and 40-Year-Old Virgin and uh, shows like that where you see a group of friends working together and there's a script, but they, like, improv and you can tell, like, it's really authentic. And they get that on camera, and that's why those sh- those movies are so funny. Like I love you, man, and yeah. Um, so like Jude Apatow. Jude, yeah, Jude Apatow is an icon for me. Yeah. That stuff where it's like, yeah, there's a script, but we're BFFs, and we're gonna do the script, but we're gonna do it a few times and get that little magic piece, and then that's like, that's why Stab Highway was so like incredible and will be so awesome to share it's because it was like pure authenticity so when you have like because like jude had like that tight group of people right like he had like he had will ferrell and he had seth rogan um john o'reilly john c o'reilly and then um just the paul rudd like Mm -hmm. are you starting to build like a network of friends up there that like you're doing the same thing yeah on the same project yeah can you speak to some of those people are, or is that also NDA? It's NDA. Okay. Hi, uh, Vee. We thought we were going to get all this information. I'm sorry. Give me, like, a few. We're trying to write a gossip girl here. Like, I should have interviewed that Larry. I know. Okay, what was your favorite? What's your favorite skit you've done? I know you have, like, Skater Mom and a few <laughs> others. Like, which one do you love the most and why? Uh, my favorite skit. Um, I think I really like, like, I did one for a creepy photographer. That one was so fun because it's real. It's happened. It's happened to a lot of my friends. I fucking hate, hate creepy guys. Like, I hate seeing girls that can't quite know how to navigate it. I don't like men that prey on women so i love taking the piss out of their creepiness and like raising awareness in that way but also like bringing light to it because it's not like the most friendly thing to talk about but i think if you can bring laughter to it it adds a whole it gives power to it i think yeah the girl's side maybe but doing that was just a blast like i couldn't get through i was peeing my pants also the one where i'm like a creepy uh i'm always a creep (laughs) Where I'm the Airbnb and they're all the boys because they had no idea what to think of me. I didn't know them that well. I was like, can you guys just stand there? I don't know. <clears throat> when you do this, how many people are you doing with? Like, is, do you have multiple friends like holding the camera or is it like... No, I got one friend that helps me. She understands like the point of view yeah. really well. And that's Britt, when you, you met. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's, she's great. She's, a, she's awesome. Sticking with like the comedy thing. Would SNL, like, would that be a platform? Like, like, that's a lot of improv. And some of those guys that you mentioned, the writers, like, all started at SNL. Like, did that 
But do, would you ever consider something like working towards that? I what? used to love SNL. Early SNL was really cool. I just think that their views on comedy aren't aligned with mine nowadays. But what specifically? Um, they just have, like, a lot of their comedy writers are from Upright Citizens Brigade in Second City. And I studied improv at Groundlings. Okay. And it's just two separate versions of improv. And um, Groundlings is really character-based. And Upright Citizens Brigade and Second City are very, like, they look for the joke. Where I think when you commit to a character... It creates authenticity, and the authenticity is what's actually funny. Right. Versus like being like, it's funny. <laughs> Push it through. Yeah, yeah, no pushing. Don't <clears throat> do that. Like, do you find like when you go to LA and even like the comedy circle and that culture within it, when you get to come back down to San Diego, do you feel like you get to live like I don't want to call it two lives? It's probably too dramatic, but basically like you get to come back to something like where people might not know like this conversation like we'd have no idea we probably should have done the research on that and known that simple but like do you get to feel like you get the best of like both worlds you get to go out there get like a hollywood sort of like community experience and then coming down here where people that have known you your whole life that still don't have any idea what's up there yeah what's that like balance like right now or like what's that like kind of am i off the mark or no like, i think like, i think you're right on the the money because it's, I feel like it's always been like that. I really enjoy dipping my toes into different industries. And it's nice because, like, people in the comedy realm have no idea about surfing or snowboarding. People in surfing don't know much about snowboarding. People in snowboarding have no idea about surfing. So I've always, like, really enjoyed just jumping between all those different ones. But I've grown up in all of them, you know? So, um, and being in L.A., LA is a completely different monster. Like people are all working really hard for their careers and um, they sometimes lose sight of fun. And I feel like surfing and snowboarding, like it's based on fun, you know? And so I think like bringing that, that little golden nugget magic bit up to something as serious as LA that's based around careers creates a light energy that right. is valuable. That's interesting. I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't have thought of it like that. Cause you're right. Like there is, everyone goes into surf, everyone stays within surf with this idea of like, I just want to have fun forever. Like, mm -hmm. Kind of like Peter Pan. Yeah. And then <clears throat> like, there is a level of like selfishness and like opportunity and ambition. And yeah, this, up in that, like, I don't want to say up there because it makes it sound like it's this, like, mythical place. Yeah, but yeah. when you go to any city or any major place where there's a lot of money and there's a lot of, like, at stake, yeah. the, the things just change. Yeah. Like, the goals are, like, your sort of cliche of, like, a North Star just yeah. evolves and as you age and surround yourself with different people. Totally. And I think I'm, I have a major advantage going up and being in that industry and yeah. comedy and in the entertainment world because I have such a rooted base and connection of friends who like support me and love what I do. And so I go up there with confidence, you know, yeah. like when I do my stints in LA, my friends literally like will send me off and be like, good luck. We love you. Have fun. Yeah. Yeah. They'll pack me a lunch with a little letter. And no, I read it when I'm kind of sad yeah. in gridlock. <laughs> So do you feel like it's been a challenge to connect 
the people up there to like the surf skate action lifestyle like that type of comedy like um no i i feel like i was blessed enough to have a pretty sick crew up in la okay i will say like that sometimes when Hollywood tries to interpret surfing, mm-hmm. it gets skewed a bit. But I, I would also like that's another thing I really want to do eventually is like when surf movies and stuff like that go and hit Hollywood. You know, like Lords of Dogtown was made really well. Yeah. And I think there's a there's an opportunity for something like that again. And I think it's. It would be cool to be involved with that to keep the authenticity of surfing in Hollywood. Right. Instead you of having it just be like, oh, you, know, you almost have to have it that like when people forget about like the Lords of Dogtown, it was like the documentary came out first, and like this downtown Dogtown the Z Boys came out, exposed that story, and then the movie came afterwards. Yeah. So there was like a little bit of like that culture awareness around it. Yeah. But like someone might not have seen that doc like that documentary, they just saw the movie. But, yeah. Like, there was some sort of storytelling around it yet that just needed like that lift, I guess, is a better way of saying. Cause like I saw Lords of Darktown, or sorry, Darktown and Z Boys in a small like indie theater, and then <clears throat> the film comes out and it's playing in like an IMAX. Yeah. There's like, um, you know, there's like real actors in it and stuff like that. So yeah, I don't know where I've really gone with that, but yeah. No, but it's true. And I think just like little details too, like make such a big difference. Like I've picked apart that movie. It's one of my favorite movies. And just how, like, it's real. Yeah. Like, you, they did a really good job of keeping it uh, pretty on point with what actually happens in Surf and Skate. It's super interesting how, because you're, what, 26? 26, okay, so you're about 10 years younger than me. Like, that, your age group was so inspired by like, that movie. And what you said, early 2000s, like, the Jude Apatow. Like, yeah. For me, like, that's an entirely different, like, point of life. Mm-hmm. You know? So, like, when that stuff was coming out, like, it just, I don't know, it's interesting, it resonates differently with people, like, some of those Jude Apatow films, I'm like, oh, I can relate to that, because you're going through that right then. Yeah. And then, like, they still, they like, fast forward to, like, when they were coming out, when I was your age, they were, um, it's, they're timeless, basically, is what I'm trying to find. Yeah. Like, they keep going, and they're evergreen on it. So yeah. That's probably what you're probably ambitious for. Or exactly. Like, uh, <clears throat> coming back to, like, I'd be curious, because you said earlier, just, how you took your community experience and then went to Scout Highway. Like, what was the... Talk a little bit about that, or, like, how that helped you, or why, like, we, I don't know, what's that experience like? Because these guys are surfers, they have no idea. Yeah, yeah, well, I've, like, been on sets for different shows. Right. And when people are trying to create something, and whether that be authentic, authentic, like laughter or people being daredevils or whatever. Um, it's hard to create that, you know? And I think when there's scripts and when people are trying to be something that they're not, it's a lot harder to get those shots. And coming onto Stab Highway, I know for a fact that people in Hollywood would have paid millions for that authenticity. To see the smiles, the laughs, the disgusting throw-ups, the booty juices, the things. Um, It's like, sorry, go ahead. 
am I articulating myself correctly? Like, yeah. like you can you can try all day long to make that stuff happen with a huge film crew and all this stuff, but when you do it really bare bones, running gun with like a filmer, and you create such a buzz around like challenges and yeah. create really cool little friend groups, it just creates magic. <clears throat> On that point, it's interesting because like we. We've scaled so much in video for our business, right? Like everything we're doing now is video based. Yeah. We're like, at times we're learning as we go. And that Hollywood high production, like you, WSL comes out with like Make a Break and you watch it and feels still like there's something missing. Mm -hmm. Like it's not something that like I get excited by, but then mainstream people like it. So yeah. do you see like with Hollywood, like you saw those people, no one had to like come out, I think is what you're saying. Like everyone was who they were. There wasn't mm -hmm. anyone trying to be someone that they they weren't is that yeah totally where i've been on i've done very like similar things to stab highway but in in la and um they have your makeup done and your hair done and then you're they go action and then you're supposed to perform something and make it authentic and it's just totally not the same whereas in stab highway i'm waking up in a wetsuit i don't i like didn't look in the mirror the whole time but there's cameras in your faces and you're just like, there's no filter. It was completely raw. And I think that tr will translate just beautifully. Like, I mean, you just see people for who they are like instantly and you get to see personalities and, and make friends with characters much more easily and seamlessly because everybody has their guards down, right? Who's the person you stayed in? Like, talk about your friends that you might not have, you didn't have a friendship with going into Stan Highway, but has maintained and like become closer from that, whether they're on your team or not on your team? Um, my team. Like, those boys were, like, I, I was super selective about picking my team. That was the main thing I wanted. I know I asked you, Aaron, a bunch of questions. I tried, I like 500 questions on the way up. I tried super hard and it was only to Ocean's side. On, on, on the way up, like, <laughs> in the weeks leading up to it, it was like every day he was asking this question. It was, but it was good though, because it, it was a level of like professionalism that you just don't see, I think a lot in our world of like, <laughs> You're only as good as the brief and the information you know. Yeah. So to have like, and your questions like, they weren't bad. It was just we couldn't like how you don't want to give anything away. Okay? Yeah, yeah. It's like we couldn't give away anything then because we wanted it all to feel like what you said, like authentic and, uh -huh. and be fair and like, like <clears throat> in the moment and not having a calculated approach of like, okay, I know I get this many people. I know I need this point, this person for this challenge. Like having it be more, um, yeah, get exactly that in the moment. And, natural mm -hmm. so. but I think my um, not but and I think my my main thing going into it I just needed the team yeah. and like Aton, Noah and Ian were like better than I could have ever imagined they were all it was such a fun group to be with and everybody had a different role and it was just like towards the end of it like celebrating with them being with them every night was so special and like it was just such a happy bond. And now, like, we all hang out, you know? Yeah. So, uh, can you talk a little bit more about the strategizing beforehand? Like, who you wanted on your team? Or yeah, I had a list. I wanted Atom first because I knew he was a freak and he knew uh, California. I wanted Ian because I know he's extremely good at surfing and he's super solid and consistent and waggy because he's misto and sweet and 
golden retriever, really great and down. Um, and it just so happens that Waggy is Santa Cruz, Aton's Ventura, Ian was San, San Clemente, and I'm from San Diego, so it's kind of like. I never thought about that. Yeah. Actually, perfect. <laughs> down the coast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there. Yeah. yeah. So did you reach out to them beforehand? No. You know, no. 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 Okay. Cool. Do you consider yourself pretty competitive, like a competitive? Person. I don't consider myself competitive. Yeah. But I did want to win. <laughs> and I, 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 I want to be the best that I can be. I get competitive with myself. Okay. And this was something that, like, it was almost nostalgic for me because my dad always, always had me and my brother doing stuff like this growing up. So it was, like, the perfect scenario to, like, just really thrive and... He, I don't know, my dad would always be like, I bet you won't go up to those people and tell them a joke and then like do the silly dance. And then I'd be like, okay. And I'd go do it. And like my brother and his friends would all come around and like my dad would have us doing s- s- little challenges and my brother's friends would be afraid and I'd be like, I'll do it. And so it was just like, like I said, nostalgic doing stuff like that with like a bunch of guys that support you and are really stoked to like accomplish things together. How many brothers do you have? I just have one, but my brother... Older or younger? Older, like seven years. He always had like his group of ten friends around, and we'd go on trips and stuff. So you, got, you were pretty much like in that boy. Like my, I have a little sister younger than me, and so she was like always with us. Mm-hmm. And she was, yeah, probably exactly. the same thing. Like yeah. you, you're pushing them as if it's your little brother, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and, and, yeah, like surfing and snowboarding, their one rule is like just... You know, don't have girly style. Don't do, like, girl tricks. Do, like, what we're doing. Do, like, six scary tricks. Yeah. Especially, like, snowboarding with rails and stuff. And Lloyd's like, okay, can I just go 50-50? They're like, no! I'm like, okay. (laughs) They're like, just stop sticking your butt out. (laughs) Um, Who do you think was your most evenly matched competition on the female side? Zoe. Thanks, Zoe. 100%. Dude, Zoe's funny. Because before, um, I don't know, I think, I don't want to say this correctly because I don't want you guys to run with it, but Zoe rips, right? Yeah. And I, like, me and Zoe have this joke that I don't actually surf because I never surf, like, here, you know? I'm very selective with my conditions. And so she's always teasing me for not surfing. And, like, right before that final, things had gotten pretty heated, obviously. Like, we both wanted to win bad. But um, I had, we had to assemble the board. That was the girl yeah. thing. She goes, do you even know how to set up a surfboard? And I was like, oh, now I don't. <laughs> and so that's when I was like, okay. And then I, I brought on the big guns and... Uh, strap that thing up real quick and then that's when I saw red a little bit gave her a little push and then she just ran with it and was like pissed at me for a solid three hours I was like Zoe come on and then she dropped it now we're BFS she's gonna come visit soon (laughs) I miss her oh my gosh she's gonna make you sir maybe that's awesome (laughs) or I'll just yell at her from the beach yeah (laughs) I am I gotta run to the college but 
episode about it, like all this stuff, like the backstory of just them texting you, like which surfers were actually texting you coming into like who wanted to get on your team? Because when you told us in the car, like everyone was sitting up to pick you or like you to pick them, which surfers were those? Zeke, big time. Zeke is your champ. Zeke, big time, and then the other one I said I wouldn't say anything about. Okay, question. Why do you think Zeke was the second to last pick? I would have picked him first just because I think he, he's like a stunt devil. And uh-huh. then, like, I would think he would do the challenges yeah. that no one else wanted to do. I love Zeke. Yeah. But spending 10 days in a car with Zeke is a whole nother challenge in itself that I wasn't really ready to take on. Love the kid. But I've no, like, we've known each other since we were groms. Yeah. I know how loud he is. I know how he smells. I don't need to be in close quarters like that, yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah, it's not worth just taking, having him to wear the wetsuit. Uh-uh. No, I think I'd rather wear the wetsuit. Wear the wetsuit than be in a car with Love him. <laughs> Bless him. Yeah, yeah. But no. Nah. See, I would like deal with them and be like, okay, but you have to drink the booty juice, jump off the yeah. shit, wear the wetsuit, because I'm over it. Um, nah, I knew Aton could, could pull some heavy weight. Yeah, yeah. So I wasn't worried about it. For sure. Okay, there's like legends of your first prep. Like, I've just heard in this office, like, you should see what Ivy brought. Like, you should see how she prepared. She had a pill for everything. Like, can you talk a little oh bit about Oh my god! That? My first prep. Well... Yeah, I had something for everything. I had uh, I got my when I was lifeguard. I got my EMT. Yeah. So I was definitely prepared on the the first aid side. I didn't want anything to be like hindering us. Yeah. I in the back of my mind knew if no one was down to do the wetsuit thing that I was gonna have to do it. I brought Diflucan, which is anti yeast. I brought. UTI medicine. I brought Advil's because I didn't want any hangovers. I brought electrolytes. I had a pill that you take. It's a vitamin that you take while you're drinking so you're not hungover the next day. I had like, I had a concoction for the boys for vitamins every day. So you were like the traveling pharmacist. Yeah, it had to be. I wasn't, there was, we were not going to let anything like a hangover slow us down. When we were in Ventura, like I really wanted to surf. I really wanted to like do some of the surf challenges because I feel like I'd never get taken seriously in the surf side of things, which like fair enough. Like I've never had like a crazy main huge sponsor. I've never like, I've never really been in the surf industry as much as some free surfers have been. So I was like, it'll be cool to like represent my surfing somehow. And there was one that was like, do three cutbacks. And I went out, <laughs> the Venture appeared. It was like really nasty and the current was huge. Aton's yelling at me to enter the water like way down the beach. And I was like, da, da, da. and I went out, almost got sucked into the pier like a noob with these little noodle arms. And I went back out, tried to get the three wraps, couldn't get the three wraps. And Hayden, the filmer's pulling me in. And um, I come in and red team had let out the tires of our car and that was the one day i didn't feed everybody in the morning because i like was really on top of feeding people because i knew if we didn't eat then it would just like kind of break down because at least that's how i am like if i don't eat i can't think 
Yeah. And um, we didn't have food. The tires were out. Aton was having a mental breakdown. I was... This was the time I really wanted to take off my suit. I was pacing, running back and forth in the um, in the parking lot, and I just wanted to take it off. I and I was like losing it a little bit, and um, I like regained my brain a little bit. And then we went to Emma Wood, and we got pelted with the eggs. And I and like the boys were all laughing, and I was just looking forward, like it's okay. I can do this. And at this point, we thought we were in last place because we hadn't won a location challenge. I had no idea how much our efforts were working or not. And um, I just like, I was like, fuck, I want to win this so bad, but I really have no idea if it's working or not. So that was rock bottom. That was major rock bottom. And we show up at Rincon and they're like, tan teams in first place. And I was like, What? And so that brought me back. And then there was like, ah, girls, a queen of the coast, surf heat. And I was like, oh, God, like, I do not compete. Like, this is terrible, but whatever. I'll give it a shot. I didn't even bring my board down to the beach because I was just like, I was ready for bed, yeah. you know? And, and Waggy's like, just take my board. And I did it. And, you know, I just didn't want to get last. So. Yeah. And you didn't have it go. I beat Holly. It was sick. That's yeah. <laughs> what boards do you ride? I, I ride Misfits. They, no way. Yeah, they make them in Australia, and they're so fun. They like. I used to ride for May, like ride Mayhem boards, but they're a bit too knifey in competition. I kept asking for fun boards, and they kept yeah. giving me like these dad boards that I didn't really connect with. And the Misfit ones are so fun. They're just like little bat wings and like cool fishes and. Really? Like this little foamy fish. Sick, yeah. I Dude, they make the funnest things. So fun. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's sick. I love how did you get connected with them? They um they reached out to me. Okay. Yeah, because they've got a sick women's brand too. Clothing yeah, brands. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. I have no idea. That's yeah. Awesome. Okay. Describe stab highway in two words if you can. What two words come to your mind? Talk two. Two, just two. Rogue or raw? Can't decide. Okay. An R. Maybe ro- raw. No, rogue. Okay. And then, honestly, like, connection or friendship? I can't decide either. That's pretty cool. Rogue friendship. Yeah. I love it. Okay, I'm going to hold on to that one. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that works. I like those two t- together. Okay, objectively, who do you think is, was the most attractive person on Stab Highway? Objectively. Object- you don't have to say this subjectively. That would be asking too much. But objectively, and why? That's fucked. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to answer if you don't want to. I was just curious. <laughs> I know, I know. I was like, damn, if I said Holly, that would throw everyone for a loop. (laughs) Um, Fuck, I don't know. Um, Holly's got a beautiful face. Okay. Beautiful face. And... 
And then Eric is just a pretty boy. He's nice okay. to look at. Really cute. Yeah, she has a very, like, um, soothing voice, I feel like, too. Like, if I was in her team, I'd be like, all right, you can you can lead us. Like, yeah. I trust you. Yeah. But I guess you got a good look at Ian, too. <laughs> I tried not to. I'm good friends with his girlfriend, so. Oh, yeah, I forgot. I tried girlfriend. to keep it respective. Yeah, yeah that but, was crazy. Did he have to go out and make it? No, but I think he volunteered both times. <laughs> <laughs> I I just hope that like our team gets to do a like yearly reunion trip or something because like I love those boys so much. Yeah. They're, what did you feel like you bonded with like especially? Or there, were there any moments where you were like, this is like these are just my guys. They're my guys. Like uh, me and Ian. Like I really love the way Ian's brain works. He was like really helped me thrive in the team captain position. Like he picked up all the slack that I might not have, you know? And he was really thorough with organization and scheduling. Okay. He helped me out a lot there. And Aton and Waggy just like really connected the bridge and were strong pillars for when things got a little wobbly. Yeah. Do you feel like those are guys that absolutely just like have your back now? Yeah, yeah. Friends for life. Friends for life. That's awesome. Yeah. Are you going to incorporate them in any of your upcoming like... Dude, Aton said he would be in some skits with me. Is he going to be Axel? No, he can't be (laughs) Axel. But we'll find a good spot for him. Yeah, yeah. Did anything from Stab Highway kind of like inspire your comedy scene? Like, was it good inspiration for... What you're doing next, or... You look yeah, for sure. Like, I think just, like, getting your brain to a zero like yeah. that and having as much fun as possible um, just gets the creative juices flowing. I usually, like, we'll see in the upcoming months what gets pulled out from there, but I definitely took some stuff from it. Yeah, you and Aton would be so funny, too. All right, and if all of this didn't make you want to go watch Stab Highway presented by Monster Energy, I don't know if anything will, but As Buck and I mentioned, there is a seven-day free trial available for Stab Premium right now. So go watch the little excerpt on YouTube, get all hyped up, and drop your credit card. Or don't even drop your credit card. Well, you do have to insert your credit card numbers first, technically. But we won't charge you for seven days. But I assure you, after watching that first episode, and maybe the second, you will never want to go back. Stab Premium will be your new place for surf content, and you will become accustomed to the fact that sometimes you have to pay for things that you like. Strange, I know. But anyway, um, episode one, live now. Episode two, live next Thursday. And we'll be doing five episodes in total over the next five weeks. So stay tuned for that. And in the meantime, um, yeah, Buck and I, or sorry, Stace and I are going to chat everything Brazil in an upcoming episode of The Cusp. 
that'll probably be on like Monday or Tuesday, depending on when the event ends, or maybe we'll tack it on the next episode of the job. I'm not sure yet, um, but I can also say that Buck is going to be out next week. So we're going to have a special guest come on another star of Stab Highway. He's going to fill Buck's position, and we're going to make him admit a surfsin. That's a new rule, or actually not a new rule, but that's a rule for any guest commentators that come on the podcast. So, uh, yeah, I feel like I've been talking for way too long. So, anyway, thanks for listening, and until next week, it is over and out.